All right, first big idea in Ephesians, and we're going to just travel kind of all over uh, the place in the Bible uh, for the next couple minutes, so get ready. Uh, the first big idea, sometimes we focus on the wrong thing, and sometimes the wrong thing are good things. But they steal from us the reality of who God is and what God is doing. We begin today in Numbers chapter 21, beginning in verse 4, this great story about God's people. They've left Egypt. They're in the, the wilderness wandering, but God's got a plan and is providing for them. We find this story. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way up to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. Isn't it amazing how people are so different today than they were back then? People, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. That worthless food being God's provision of manna and nourishment in the wilderness. There's not a lot of food in the wilderness, in the desert. So God provides miraculous nourishment for God's people, uh, but they are frustrated with it. Uh, it is not the fruits and vegetables they remembered from Egypt, and that's what they want. Then the Lord sent, just a quick little sermon note here, don't mess with the Lord. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. So God's mean, right? But what happens in the fiery serpents, right? It's actually God's grace that's leading people to repentance. And the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And so Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. And so Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Here's this beautiful story of God leading his people, training his people, and saving his people. And it is a foreshadowing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, Jesus speaks of the bronze serpent being lifted up in the wilderness as himself being lifted up on the cross. We are dying in sin. But when we look up to the cross and we see Jesus, we are saved, we live, we are free freed from sin. Beautiful story, right? Turn to 2 Kings chapter 18. Some of you might be saying, I just found numbers. Hold on. That's how today's going to be. I'm sorry in advance. Uh, but we will put it on the screen if you can't get there quickly. Just one verse here, 2 Kings chapter 18. Now here's what I need you to know. This is several hundred years later, almost 500 years later. Moses has been dead for a while, and a new king has come to power over Israel. His name is Hezekiah. Verse 4 reads like this. He removed the high places 
and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. These are all uh, things that uh, God's people had been influenced by uh, from other nations and other cultures, other gods uh, that they were worshiping. They had fallen into idolatry. Uh, and this Hezekiah comes to power as king and he says, not anymore. And he's getting rid of all the idolatry in the land of Israel and watch what he does now. And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it, and it was called Nehushtan. It's amazing what 500 years can do. In one setting, God performs this amazing miracle through Moses and through the work that he put Moses' hands to make. God told Moses to do something, and Moses in his flesh formed and fashioned a bronze serpent, and God used that bronze serpent to save people in the wilderness. Well, now Moses is gone because Moses would have had none of this, amen? Moses is gone, the people have continued, and they keep this, this memento from that day. And for a long time, that's what it is. It's a memento. It's a reminder. Uh, it's, it's a, uh, 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 what's that, when they put the stones, what do you call that? Not an Ebenezer. Yeah, an Ebenezer. It's an Ebenezer. It's, it's, it's stones of remembrance. It's, it's a, a place marker in history to remember the good things that God had done, the salvation that he brought However, they're not remembering God in the bronze serpent anymore. Instead, they're worshiping the bronze serpent, the, the, the thing made by the hands of men. They're worshiping it. And Hezekiah, now picture this, because some of you grew up in super traditional liturgical churches, right? Wherever Easter they bring out St. Peter's fingernail clipping, and everybody gets around and goes, oh. <laughs> But imagine, I mean, now Abraham is the father of the nation of Israel, the Hebrew people, right? We're going to talk about him in Genesis in a moment. But Moses is their prophet. He's the guy God spoke to, right? He's the, he's the guy uh, who wrote the first five books, the Torah, the law. He's a hero to the Jewish people. And they've got something that his hands had made, and Hezekiah, you can see him before the people. He's, he's having the, the Asherah poles taken down. And then he takes the bronze serpents of Moses and he smashes them into pieces. And the crowd, oh, you can't do that. I mean, think about it, just in our nation, just a couple hundred years old. Right, But you go to D.C., this, this town that was planned by our founding fathers. I mean, George Washington hand-picked uh, was part of the, the development and the layout of that city and, and the marble city that it is and all the history and our original documents are there. Right? What if somebody came in and just began to shred our, our articles and our, our uh, Constitution, our Bill of Rights? Burn down our buildings, right? There'd be an uproar because things become tradition and things are passed down from generation to generation and it's to be honored. Here comes Hezekiah just breaking it to pieces. Let me bring this a little closer to home. 
Because some of you grew up as I did in Bible Belt South, lots of tradition. I was pastoring a church one time, and they still had the old hardwood bench pews. You guys remember those? I mean, now, some of the more modern, progressive churches back then had pads that they would lay on the wood pews. Uh, but, you know... Uh, I made the mistake as a young pastor. I walked in and I said, hey, you know what? I got some ideas. We want to reach the community around here, which they didn't care about reaching the community at all. But I wanted to reach the community. And uh, I said, here's what we can do. Let's, let's get these pews. Let's put them in the basement. We'll get some nice padded chairs, bring in here, make it more comfortable for people. This man looked at me as if I shot his grandfather in the face. He said, my grandfather paid for these pews. They were good enough for my grandfather. They're good enough for anybody in this community. All right? That's called an adventure in missing the point. And that's what God's people have done. God's done something awesome. He saved. And the people in a couple hundred years are worshiping a stupid serpent made by the hands of a man. Right? This is a pride. Now think about that on all the different levels. Now turn with me to Genesis chapter 17. Because Ephesians 2 is going to speak to one of these issues. And I hope that God will help us see the power of the freedom that we have in Christ. Chapter 17 of Genesis, and listen, let's just read the first, for sake of time, the first five verses, and let's skip over and start in verse 9, because there's a lot of repetition in the Abrahamic covenant. But when Abram was 99 years old, just a young buck, you guys aren't with me, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And then Abram fell on his face. Always the correct response when God shows up and speaks to you, amen? Abram fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Now, this is expanded from the beginning of the Abrahamic covenant, found a little earlier in chapter 12. But look what God's promise to Abram is. I'm going to change your name to Abraham, and you are going to be the father of a multitude of nations. Here's what's true. In the Old Testament, God had a people. His people were Israel. The only way to be part of the people of God was to com completely convert to Judaism. You had to become a Hebrew like the Hebrew people. But God's original intent and promise was that Abram was going to be a father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I establish this covenant with you. Go down to verse 9. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring. Here's what I'm doing for you. I'm going to make you great. Right back to chapter 12, oh, the stars in the sky, your descendants are going to outnumber 
Abram's still 99, hasn't had that first kid of promise, but God's still making these promises. Kings are going to come from your loins. Father of a multitude of nations. God, now here's what I need you to do, Abraham. This is what God tells Abraham to do in this covenant. This is my covenant, verse 10. And you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of this covenant between me and you, every male born into your house uh, by, on the eighth day, eighth significant, because it means new beginning, right? On the eighth day, every male is going to be circumcised in your house from now on until. And so what, is, what does Abraham do? He does exactly what God tells him, and he begins to circumcise all the males in his house, in his family, and all Israel becomes a nation, and every male is circumcised, which differentiates Israel from every other nation on the planet. Hittites didn't circumcise. Philistines didn't circumcise. Uh, Babylonians didn't circumcise. Nobody else did. This is a brand new thing that God... Now, some of you, most of the men in this room are circumcised, but it's not because you're Jews. The doctors just found out it was kind of cleaner and more sanitary, so the practice has been perpetuated uh, throughout history. But this was just for the Jews at this time. It was a brand new thing, and God said to do it, amen? God said, this is what's going to separate you. I've made you clean. Everyone else is unclean, and this is how uh, you're separated. It's a sign in your flesh that you belong to me. Now, turn with me quickly to Acts chapter 16, because I want to show you how this plays out in the New Testament. We're going to read a story about Paul meeting Timothy for the first time. Timothy, an important biblical character. Two letters of our 27 uh, books of the New Testament are letters written from Paul to Timothy specifically. They're called pastoral epistles because Paul would leave Timothy in places like Ephesus, Timothy was left in Ephesus to raise up and train uh, elders in the church so that church could be run well, loved, and shepherded, and served. And the letters to Timothy are, are instructions on how to find the right people and train them and raise them up and the, and the purpose of the church and the gospel. But here we find Paul meeting Timothy for the first time, 16.1. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek, a.k.a. Timothy's not circumcised. He was well spoken of by his brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew. Now, we're talking within a very short time after the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the church gets started in Acts. It's a brand new thing that God is doing in the world. And Paul runs across Timothy, and everything about Timothy is awesome. He's got a great mom who loves Jesus, who's raised him to love Jesus. Evidently, he, he is an outstanding man. Everybody talks well of him. And Paul says, you're the kind of guy I need to help me perpetuate the gospel and take the gospel uh, uh, to the, the entire Roman Empire. There's just one problem. It's your Greek dad, right? 
Ah, he's an uncircumcised Greek. So what does Paul do early in his ministry? He has Timothy circumcised so that the Jewish people will not be offended by him. Now, turn to Galatians chapter 2. It's amazing what a little over a decade can do as we grow in our understanding of the gospel. Did you know that Paul grew in his understanding of the gospel as God would reveal his truth to him? Many people don't know this, but you know, Paul, when he got saved, he went to Damascus and was preaching the gospel and everybody was blown away. But then he went to the wilderness for three years uh, as Jesus revealed uh, his plan and his purpose uh, to Paul. And Paul grew in his understanding of what Jesus was doing in the world through times uh, like that. And in Galatians 2, which is another church that Paul had planted, and this is the church where he and Paul kind of went head to head, Fury and Wilder, right? Ding, ding, ding. No boxing fans. Okay? That was kind of a big deal last night, I think. Um, so Paul and Peter, Paul calls out Peter in front of everybody because he's showing favoritism to the Jews, and Peter was a Jew, right? Here's what, here's the problem that Paul discovered as he's planning churches. There was always a group of Jewish people called the Judaizers who would follow him in as he would leave a town after he planted the gospel and a church formed. As he would leave, this group came in and they'd come in and they'd say, hey, listen, we heard you believe in Jesus. That's awesome. Welcome to the family. Uh, there's just a few couple things we need to talk about now because we... We're, we're glad you love Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised. And there's also some dietary restrictions. And there's also a lot of other Jewish stuff from an older covenant, not the new covenant in Christ, but from an older covenant that we need you uh, to come our way on. And they were adding things to the gospel, which is why Paul writes in chapter 2, beginning in verse 1 of Galatians. Whew, I'm tired. Then after 14 years, it's been a while since Timothy was circumcised. I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus, another guy that Paul writes a letter to in the Bible. Why? Because Paul went to Crete. He preached the gospel. Churches got planted all along the Isle of Crete. Somebody had to stay there and raise up uh, eldership in all of those churches. So Paul leaves Titus and writes instructions to Titus that we have recorded in our Bible on, on what Titus was to do there. But here we find Titus taking Titus along with me. And I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they may bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Early in Paul's ministry, he runs across Timothy. Timothy, not circumcised, so he circumcises him to throw a bone to the Jews so that the Jews would accept him as a Christian brother. 
But after a decade of ministry and church planting and planting the gospel, Paul says, enough of that nonsense. You guys got to come to terms with the freedom that we have in Christ. You're adding things to the gospel. Uh, Galatians has strong language. Uh, he writes to this church and he says, who has bewitched you? Who has tricked you? Who has put a spell on you that you have left the gospel and the freedom we have in Jesus Christ so quickly and, and moved to other things, added things to uh, your worship and the work of the church and who you are in Christ. Now let's go to Ephesians. I think we're ready for this now. Circumcision of the old covenant was commanded by God because Jesus Christ came, lived, died, was buried, and rose from death. There's a new covenant, a covenant of his blood and of his body that we're going to celebrate this morning in Holy Communion. The old is gone and the new has come. And this is the point. And we see the power of this at work in the early church. I mean, think about this church for a moment. We know it's made up of Jews and Gentiles. Paul's already referenced that in chapter 1. Right? We were the first to believe us Jews. We're the first heirs of this inheritance in Christ Jesus. And now you too, right? You've believed and the mark of the Holy Spirit is on you because of what God did in eternity past. We now have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of trespasses, both Jew and Gentile. That was chapter one. Now Paul wants us to grow in our wisdom and understanding of the power of the hope we have in Christ, uh, how much he loves us and the, his power, what he's done and how he saved us. We talked about last week. And how he has freed us. And we're no longer two people. We've now become one person in Christ. I'm ahead of myself. Verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles. Now he's speaking specifically to the Gentiles here. Remember at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called Jews, the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by human hands. Now, what has Paul just explained, right? This starts out, therefore. And therefore, when you see a therefore, you've got to ask what it's there for. It's my Mickey Mouse voice. Don't know where that comes from. It's kind of embarrassing, though. He's just explained the power of God. We didn't build half a bridge to him. He built a whole bridge to us. We were dead. And he said, his mercy, his grace, he saved us. Us, it's the power of God on display in our saving. Then he speaks just to the Gentiles. You used to be the uncircumcision. And hey, all the Jews in the room, we were the circumcision. We were the ones close to God. We were the ones who the prophets would come and give us God's word. But what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember, and he does make the point to remind the Jews, our circumcision was made by ourselves, not by the powerful God who's done this great work in us. Verse 12, remember, again, speaking to the Gentiles, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And this was the plight of Gentiles before Christ. In the temple, the temple mount in Jerusalem, there was the court of the Jews, there was a court for women, and there was a court for the Gentiles. 
Gentiles could come and hear and learn about the God of Israel. But there was a dividing wall, a barrier between the court of Gentiles and the court of the Jews. It was three feet tall, and on top of that three-feet section, there were many pillars. Uh, it was, it was, it, you could not cross it. Josephus tells us in Antiquities that this, this barricade between where the Gentiles would come and where the Jews were able to come, Jews were closer to the Holy of Holies where the presence of God dwelt. Gentiles were, Jews were near. Gentiles were far. And there were signs posted, Josephus, jo, Josephus, Josephus tells us, and we actually have two of, we found two of these signs that did exist. Uh, one in the uh, late 19th century, 18, I can't remember, 92 or something, and another one found in 1922. Uh, the, the one I'm going to show you is the one found earlier, uh, and it's now on display in a museum in Istanbul. But this was the life of the Gentiles. This sign, uh, these signs were posted along the pillars of that barricade between the court of Gentiles and the court of the Jews. And translated, it says, no foreigner may enter within the barrier and enclosure around the temple. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. Paul is r- reminding them Remember before Christ, if you wanted to come to God, you were far while the Jews were near, right? This this was a problem. And in the Christian church, the early church, man, all of a sudden you got Jews and Gentiles in one room and they all claim to be Christians and they all claim uh, to, to be worshiping the same God, but the Jews are like, they listen to rock music and that's not kosher or good. Got to bring it home, right? I saw him have a Big Mac. And there was, there was tension. Verse 13. You were once far, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This wall separating you from the people of God has been eliminated through nothing you could do and through none of the works of the flesh that the Jews had been doing. There's only one source, and underline it, it's in Christ more than 30 times. In Ephesians, how do we grow in our understanding and wisdom? How how does sin begin to fall off of us? We realize the power and the work that has happened in Christ Jesus on our behalf. In Christ, for he himself is our peace. Right, this word peace is just packed full of meaning. Because there was war and enmity between God and sinful humanity. There was war. There could be no peace. But Jesus is our peace. That's why when he left his disciples, he said, peace I leave with you. Peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. All the Bible verses that I have memorized are all King James. It was, I got saved a long time ago. But Jesus gives peace. You don't have to wrestle in bed wondering if that bird you flipped off, the guy who cut you off, separated you from your inheritance. I mean, I grew up believing 
If you got in a car wreck, the last thing that came out of your mouth was a four-letter word, you'd go to hell. That's terrifying. Right? Every night, oh, God, save me from you. Now I lay me down to sleep. It's terrifying. It's terrifying to be, have enmity between you and God. He's God. And we're not, and we know it. And here's the good news of the gospel. He has eliminated the tension, the war, the enmity between God, the Father, righteous, holy, blameless, perfect God, and imperfect flesh, you and I, in Christ. Attention is eliminated. Peace is what you have with God. For he himself is our peace who has made us both. Now, who's he talking to? Both himself as a Jew and all the Gentiles that he's been addressing. There's no longer two. This word is the same word used for marriage. And the two shall become one flesh. We walk into a wedding, two separate individuals. We walk out a family. We walk in two. We leave one it's the same word used for God himself. He is triune, Father, Son, and Spirit. But the Lord our God is one God. And what the, the power of God, what has he done? He's made both Jews and Gentiles one. Made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Let's talk about that for a second. Turn, turn with me real quick to Colossians chapter 2 because I want to unpack what some of those things are that we're free from. Like circumcision. People get so confused, but God said to do it as part of the old covenant. It's part of old ceremonial laws that were there for a reason and a purpose in that time. But Christ has brought freedom. I need to turn to Colossians chapter 2. Verse 16. Look at this. Look at this. Again, Colossians and Ephesus. Very similar letter that Paul writes to these churches. Right? Because there's a Jew-Gentile context. And they're having a hard time. Because one person's going, man, you know what? Uh, Easter's coming up. Let's do Easter eggs. That'll be fun. And uh, another person's going, oh, you demon from hell. <laughs> right? Christmas trees, Christmas time. Woo, let's sing some. So let's have dashy through the snow. Oh, my ear's burning, you satanic fool. <laughs> right? We've got different opinions, and opinions are great. Amen? And you're entitled to your opinion if you think Christmas trees are of the devil. Don't have one. But you can't force everybody else not to have one either. We've got very well-defined, open and closed hand of theology here at Four Points. You can look at our website. 
right? The things the church has always believed and that are part of the gospel, that Jesus is God, that he did become, he wasn't a spirit, he wasn't an apparition, he became flesh, he lived the perfect life that no other human being has ever done. Then he died substitutionally in our place for our sins. He was buried in wealthy Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, but on the third day he rose conquering sin, death, hell, and the grave. God is good, God is three, God is one, uh, Jesus born of a virgin, right? These are things the Bible says and we believe, amen? Gee, the Bible does not say, if you get in a car wreck and you're listening to Pink Floyd and you die, you are on your way to hell. So take a pill. Look at the things that Paul mentions to the Colossians. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink. When you see pastor at McDonald's with the Big Mac, just keep on walking. <laughs> or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Right, a Sabbath, that's one of the Ten Commandments. Honor the Sabbath, keep it holy. That's a big deal. And a lot of people get their feathers completely ruffled, but Paul specifically mentions here, man, if you're a Jewish Sabbath, it's really Saturday, well, worship on Saturday. But don't think everyone who worships on Sunday, the Lord's Day, which is when the church began uh, worshiping as Christians called it the way, we follow the New Testament power, don't, don't think evil of us. Let no one pass judgment on you. Listen, if you're the kind of person who, you, right, you want to do Hanukkah instead of, you know, whatever, or you, you want to have cedar meals, praise God for all that. Just know those things can point to Jesus if you do them well, but they are not necessary. Because we're not Jews. We're as New Testament people that have been made one in Christ, not in our traditions. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. These things are just pointing the way to Jesus. And now he's here, so they're unnecessary. This is, this is preaching. Some of you, please be free. Be free in Christ. Let no one disqualify you. Let no one, if you're running a good race, let no one push you out of bounds. That's what disqualify means. Insisting on asceticism, the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions. How many of you have been to that church? Oh, I had a dream. Right? No, you had pizza too late. Stop. Speaking into my life as if you're God, you are not. I've got his word. I don't need your weird dream. Don't tell me I'm going overseas. I ain't. Somebody told me that when I was young. It freaked me out. I thought I was going to be a missionary. I didn't go overseas for like a decade. Asceticism. How many of you know that person? They just want to prove to God how much they love them. So they stay in the room and they continually are fasting and denying themselves. They, I mean, there's even monks that beat themselves and whip themselves uh, for, for ways to show God they know uh, they're dirty and they need penance. 
right? Crazy. There are people in the medieval periods who, who erected poles and they would 25, 30 feet up and they would just sit up there away from everyone else to show how holy and dedicated and, uh, to God that they were. That's dumb. How are you the light of the world in Jesus' name sitting on a pole away from everybody else? Paul says, don't let anyone disqualify you with all the nonsense that we come up with in the name of holiness. Because there's only one place holiness comes from. Does it come from sitting on a pole or beating yourself? It comes from Jesus Christ and him alone. That's where your holiness comes from. It doesn't come from whether you have an Easter basket or not. Get off my chocolate eggs. Watch, and listen, I've been, past, I've been in ministry of well over 20 years, almost 25 years now. And it's so clear to me, people always come in and they're upset and they're fussing and he's got tattoos and all the stuff that we make it about. Right? Why is Paul writing this to the Colossians? Why is he writing it to the Ephesians? We're going to see in Ephesians 4 what God wants for his people is unity. And unity doesn't come from anywhere but one place, Jesus. Because look, you're going to like Wendy's and I'm going to like Burger King. Actually, that's a lie. I hate Burger King. I'm going to like McDonald's, right? And we're not going to agree on that ever probably. But we can agree on Jesus Christ. So this is Paul's to the Colossus, what he says. Where do all these problems come from? People, verse 19, not holding fast to the head. Who's the head? His name's Jesus. He's the gift God the Father has given to his body, the church. We read that in Ephesians 2. From whom the whole body is nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments and grows with a growth that is from God. Man, we got to get this right, church. Back to Ephesians. Abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinance that he might create in himself, in Jesus, one new man. That's why we call the study guide the new humanity. And here's why, man, please get this. This is who you are. God has taken his Jewish people. Not all, Israel, not all national Israel is spiritual Israel. We've read Romans, right, as Christians. He takes his people from Israel, and then he takes the Gentiles that he saves, and he brings them together, and he, it's not two any longer. It's now one new man. We are in Christ, the new man that God has created right now, you and me together in Christ. It's not us versus them. It's us in Christ. We are now one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Jesus Christ has done this work for us. He came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. Jesus came as a Jewish man to the Jews, but he also ministered to Samaritan women and to the Gentile peoples. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now that word one, again, it's very important. You're going to see it in chapter 4 about six times. 
talking about who we are. One Father, one Lord, Christ Jesus. One Spirit that binds us together, making us one people. This is the great picture revelation, right? Abraham's going to be the father of a multitude of nations. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl. It doesn't matter if you are red, yellow, black, or white. It doesn't matter what part of the world you come from. It doesn't matter what language you speak in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're fat or skinny or bald or with hair, rich, poor, slave, free, Galatians chapter 3, right? Amen? doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. How many of you have ever been on a mission trip? First time I went to Ecuador, it was about a decade ago. We go down there and I see this guy and he's like, I'm just like, praise God. I didn't understand a thing he said. All right, and I'm, I'm teaching and he's interpreting. And I'm like, I hope you're saying what I'm saying. I don't know. But there was a camaraderie and a brotherhood. We couldn't understand one another, but we knew that Jesus had connected us and bound us together, and we were brothers. It's beautiful, right? Look at our world. It's so messed up. And it's not just America. It's every country. We all have our prejudices and the stuff against other people. Have you, I'm not saying that. Well, let me use my own races. I won't offend myself. I know what I'm trying to do. You know, the Irish and the Scots don't get along that well. They haven't historically. Right? They're, they're, it doesn't, even white people, there's certain groups of white people that other white people, there's certain groups of black people that other black people hate, there's certain groups of Hispanic people that other, uh, spend like Puerto Ricans and, and right, man, you don't mess with those, you don't bring those two together. Right? I'm, look, I'm just being real with you. What was going on in the church? And God, through Paul, is saying, enough. You're not two. You're not separate. I've made you one. One people. My people with Christ as your head. Stop. For through him we both have access to one spirit in the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. The wall is down. There's only one court now, and it's for all who are in Christ. Members of the household of God. Now, here's the second big point. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, right? Apostles and prophets both have teaching gifts that make up a, a part of their, what, who God has made them. So the teaching of the apostles and the prophets, the gospel of Jesus Christ, God has made us together, the household of God. The foundation of that house being Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone, this house. Listen, here's here's what's happening. I see the beauty in what God has done. Because there used to be a physical temple made by people. And God told him to build that temple, amen? But then God sent Jesus, and what did God do next? He tore that temple down, just like Jesus said in Matthew 24 he was going to do. Why? Because now on planet Earth, God has a new temple. And that new temple is you and me in Christ, built on the foundation of his precious gospel, his life, his death, 
his burial, his resurrection. Why Peter, uh, in his book, uh, calls the Christians living stones. Because this is not a temple made by the hands of men. This is a temple made by God himself. And you have been made a living stone, uh, a piece of this, this people, this building that God has in this world right now. Why did God do that? Let's read. In whom the whole structure, Jesus is the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In the old covenant, in the old temple, where was God's presence manifest? In the holy of holies, the center of the temple mount, the court of the Jews. Now where does God's presence reside? In us. His new temple, not made by men, but made through the power of the Spirit at work in us, making much of Christ Jesus. We are right now. Brothers, there's only my second time here. Do you love Jesus? Yes, I believe he saved me from my sins. Your part, living stone in this new temple. That is the visible manifestation of the presence and power of God in this world. That's who you are, saints. Well, I don't think church is all that important. Ah! This is who we are. 1 Corinthians 3, quickly. Ushers, if you will come. Ryan, if you will come. Before we pass out the elements, I want to read one verse that, that my hope is God will use to prepare your hearts for the communion we're about to partake in. Because God has, God has made us something that we were not. Here's the question Paul asks in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Do you know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Now listen, in chapter 7, he's going to say that he's going to ask this same question about you individually. But he's not talking to every one of us individually here. He's talking to the church. Do you not know that you are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy. And you are that temple. Because we sing, nope, singing's great. Because we give, nope, giving's great. God's temple is holy. Why? Because Jesus Christ is holy. And you have been grafted in and made union with Christ Jesus himself. You're holy because of Christ. You are the temple of God. We are the temple of God. Do you know that?
Amen. As we partake in the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus, I'm going to point you to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's a, it's a very usual passage for a communion service, but I would like to read a few verses before in verse 17 of chapter 11, down through, because Paul is disciplining the church for their lack of unity. There are divisions among them when they come together. Notice that three times in this section, two more times if you read the rest of the chapter, the church comes together. But when they come together, there's divisions. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church... I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. 
When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Our unity is from this blood and from this bread. The body of Christ, the blood of Christ. There are no divisions that we should bring that separate or put our eyes on anything but his body and his blood. This is where our holiness comes from. His body and his blood. Would you stand now with me? For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Church, let's take the body. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Church, let's drink. Father, I thank you on behalf of every Christian in this room for the grace that you have given. Thank you that we are not holy, but you have made us holy through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that we were not a people, but you made us a people. Thank you that we are living stones in the new temple that carries your presence in this world with Christ being our cornerstone, the head of this body. Your grace is amazing. Father, grow us in our understanding and in our knowledge of what you have done and who we now are so that we can reflect your workmanship in this world. It is Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.